0: We're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 44. We're getting close to uh, finishing Ezekiel. What an incredible section of scripture this has been as we are talking about the millennium reign, um, that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, and the temple that will stand in Jerusalem during that time. So, Father, as we continue to look at this, may our hearts once again be stirred and excited. We may not understand everything here, but we get the big picture And we understand that part of the restoration of Israel is going to include this temple and the Levites and the priests that are ministering and and, um, the holy district and uh, all these things that are mentioned here. But most importantly, that the Lord, that the Lord is going to be there and the glory of the Lord is going to fill the temple. And we're looking forward to that time. So, Lord, as we go through these chapters, bless our hearts, bless this uh, study that we have. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in chapter 40, Ezekiel, he begins to see the millennium reign, what's going to take place in that when the Lord comes back, of course, we know that the prophetic scenario tells us that Jesus will touch down on the Mount of Olives We who have been raptured before the tribulation period, as we're in heaven with the Lord, uh, we are singing that new song, Revelation chapter 5, that you have redeemed us out of every tribe, tongues, people, and nations. And then at the end of the tribulation period, as the battle of Armageddon is taking place there in the valley of Megiddo in northern Israel, as the armies of the world gather together, that it looks like Jerusalem's about ready to go down, half the city goes into captivity, as Zechariah chapter 14 tells us, uh, chapters 13 tells us about that as well. And and we know that then as Joel chapter 2, that a fast is called, a trumpet is blown, and the people turn to the Lord, and the Lord comes and rescues his people. And Paul says that at that time, all of Israel will be saved, as they will recognize there, as they come to that place, recognizing that Jesus is their Messiah, their Mashiach. There's a national restoration. Ezekiel has talked about that in chapters 36 and 37. That not only is there going to be a physical restoration of the nation of Israel, and we've seen a partial fulfillment of that since 1948 when they came back into the land, they became a nation once again. Absolutely incredible, a miracle that they come back into their original homeland after being dispersed for 2,000 years, and now they're back in the land. And as Amos says, they will not be plucked out again. And we see that the Lord is preparing the people Israel for a national physical restoration that will be completed when the Lord comes back and as we enter into the millennium reign. And this is all part of that, what we're seeing, and a spiritual restoration as they will recognize that Jesus is their Messiah. So there's many verses that we have looked at going through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. We'll continue to see as we go through the minor prophets, because when we get done with Ezekiel, We are going to go through the Minor Prophets and and look at uh, those books, and that will complete the Old Testament. The book of Daniel will study on Sunday morning when I complete Matthew on Sunday morning. But we are seeing that part of the restoration and restoration of Israel includes this millennial temple. And it's going to be a magnificent temple that we know that from 1260 days, um, the last three and a half years, when the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and proclaims himself as God to be worshipped as God in the temple of God, then we know that there is three and a half years. The Lord will come back. There's an additional 75 days that Daniel talks about, the consummation of things after the abomination of desolation and the, the stopping of the sacrifices in the middle of the week shall be 1290 days that Daniel mentions. We'll look at that when we get there in the book of Daniel. And then blessed are those who come to 1335 days. So there is this additional 75 days what has taken place during that time? What is mentioned? Well, it is believed that it, during that time, when the Lord comes back, remember that the, the, you know, the, the earth has been scorched. The water has turned into blood. Uh, there's been cosmic disturbances, geologic upheaval. Uh, the moon uh, is turned you know, to red. The, the sun does not give its light. Uh, there's all this death and destruction and devastation that Jesus said, That if he had not come back, that man would have destroyed himself. Those days were cut short. And so when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a difference in geography. The the Mount of olives, as I said, are going to uh, heave in half. There's going to be waters that are going to flow uh, from this temple, just, just right close to the altar that we've already read about. That's going to go westward to the Mediterranean. It's going to go eastward to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is going to come to life again. The topography is different. The, the Millennium Temple, which is huge, uh, we looked at the area of that temple. It's going to be like 765,000 square feet, something like that. And it's going to be on a holy mountain as we finished last week. And let me read it to you again in verse 12 of chapter 43. That this is the law of the temple. The whole area surrounding the mountaintop is most holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. So there's going to be this holy mountain that the temple is on. We've looked at the dimensions of it. And now we see that as the waters flow, it's going to heal the waters of the world. And the Lord's going to come. And that's what we're going to read about in chapter 44. The Lord coming, and we saw in chapter 43 that here is the Lord that, as he said in verse 4, that the glory of the Lord came into the temple by the way which faces the gate towards the east. And once again, the glory of the Lord is going to fill the temple. You recall that in Ezekiel chapter 10, that the glory of the Lord left through the eastern gate. That here is Ezekiel. He saw that vision because of all the abominations and idol worship and false prophecies and teachers and the sins of the nation were so prevalent there at the temple that the glory of the Lord departed, uh, went over the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives and departed. Now we're going to see that the glory of the Lord returns as literally physically uh, as Jesus said, when I come back that every eye shall see me and I'll touch down on the Mount of Olives And as the prophecies say, then he will enter into this time. And those 75 days, I believe, is what we're going to see, the judgment of the nations. We're going to see the tribulation temple that will be standing, that's going to be uh, destroyed. That's going to be torn down because it ended up being desecrated by the Antichrist. And then the Lord's going to build, I personally believe that he's going to build, the millennium temple during that time. And so exciting things for us and this is a highlight for Ezekiel. Remember we've talked about that? After all these chapters of, of judgment that's going to come and the destruction of Jerusalem and they're in captivity, that all of a sudden Ezekiel is seeing the promises of the Lord coming to be fulfilled. That there is that new covenant that Jeremiah spoke of, a new covenant when you will, you know, come to me and I'll write my, my law on the tablets of your heart, no longer just on the tablets of stone. And you'll have a new spirit and you'll have this new beginning and I will be your God and, I, you know, you'll walk with me and, and you'll walk in obedience to me. This is the time that we're seeing that. So let's look at chapter 44. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces towards the east, but it was shut. And the Lord said to me, this gate shall be shut. It shall not be open, and no man shall enter by it, because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it. Therefore, it shall be shut." As for the prince, because he is the prince, he may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the festival or the porch of the gateway and go out the same way. So here, as uh, the eastern gate is told to us, we've already seen it mentioned. There is a south gate. There is a north gate. There is no gate to the west uh, of this millennial temple. But when the Lord comes back, he's going to go through the east gate, as we've already seen the glory of the Lord in verse 4 of the previous chapter uh, that will fill the temple by the way of the gate that faces towards the east. And only the Lord is allowed to go through this east gate. Now, sometimes uh, we see pictures of what is called the golden gate. When you are on the Mount of Olives, you look down towards the temple mount, there is that gate that is sealed Uh, by stones and and the turks did that and they sealed it and it is oftentimes quoted in this prophecy that it will be sealed till the lord comes back and then he'll go through that gate you got to keep in mind that this is talking about the millennium temple so it's not talking about the golden gate that stands now what is interesting is an archaeologist was there digging um, about 60, 70 years ago, I believe. He was digging in this area by the eastern gate, or that is the golden gate that presently is there, that is sealed. And as he was doing some studies there, um, he fell through. It was a very wet time of the year. He fell through uh, this cavern that, that kind of collapsed. And he saw uh, uh, Herodian stones, what looked like Herodian stones, in the eastern gate that was standing during the time of, of Jesus' day. And it was unsealed, is what I understand. So that's what uh, has been um, mentioned. And, and so it could be that some scholars believe that that's actually the gate that Jesus will go through, that when you know, the upheaval happens and the, and, uh, the Mount of Olives is split, that that gate will be exposed But here, this eastern gate is the gate that the Lord will go through. It's the millennial temple that is being spoken of and the prince that is being spoken of. And we're going to hear about the prince. We already have the prince that will be there, that he's going to be the one that will be um, allowed to eat in the gate of this gate. He, he will not pass through the gate, but he's going to eat before the Lord. And this prince is probably David. I believe it's speaking of David because in chapter 37, uh, verse uh, uh, 25, let me read it to you, that we see that the prince is, is mentioned and is mentioned as David. Then they shall dwell in the land that I've given to Jacob, my servant, Where your fathers dwelt, speaking about the restoration of Israel in the millennium reign, and they shall dwell there by their children and their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. And then also in verse uh, chapter 34, that is, in uh, verse 24, we read, And I the Lord will be their God, and my servant David a prince among them. I the Lord have spoken so it seems to indicate to me pretty clearly that David is going to be the prince he's going to be there eating before the Lord he won't pass through the gate but he'll be at the porch of the gate and what a, a, a incredible privilege for David the prince to be able to do that and then in verse 4 also he brought me by way of the north gate in front of the temple so i looked and behold the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord and I fell on my face. So the glory of the Lord again filling uh, the temple, so much so that it was overwhelming that Ezekiel falls on his face. What a glorious, glorious verse that is. And the Lord's gonna come, and, and the glory of the Lord's gonna fill that magnificent millennial temple. And Ezekiel's so overwhelmed by it, and he just falls on his face. And what that does is is kind of a little side note uh, as I consider this, because Ezekiel in the beginning chapters he had that vision of the throne chariot of God. You know, it was like a thunderstorm that came, and it was the seraphims, the cherubims uh, that were there, and, and you know the description that is there, the brilliant colors, the, the throne chariot of God. He was so overwhelmed that he, he fell on his face because after that vision, he's told to stand up, son of man, that, that title given to Ezekiel, stand up. And here he falls on his face as he sees the glory of the Lord. And whenever we read the Bible and we see those who were before the Lord or saw a vision of heaven... Like John in the book of Revelation chapter 1, he saw the resurrected Lord, and he fell on his face as though he was dead. An angel said, stand up, John. Uh, we know that, uh, that Paul the apostle, when he writes about in 2 Corinthians, how he was taken to the third heaven. He was taken to heaven, and he said that I saw things, heard things that are unlawful for me to utter, uh, inexpressible, uh, can't even describe it. We also know that the other visions of those who were before the Lord is just overwhelmed and, and just in awe. Daniel, we see in his visions that he saw. He was on his face. And I mention that because I've heard some faith teachers. There was one not long ago that I just saw a clip of that somebody sent me. That he's bragging about how he went to heaven and before the Lord. And it was very casual, almost in a haughty kind of prideful kind of way. I've heard uh, faith teachers, even during the time of COVID, that made prophecies because the Lord came into my office when I was eating lunch. and just very, very casual, and I just dismiss it. I dismiss it personally because there's no awe. There's, There's no reverence. And what I see in the scriptures is when Ezekiel and John and Paul... And and Daniel and uh, the others, when they had a vision of of the Lord or a vision of heaven, they fell on their faces. They were in awe. They were overwhelmed by it. And and Paul said, I can't even express it. It's inexpressible what I saw. Unlawful for me to speak about. So here he he's describing it, but he falls on his face. He he has the a glory the Lord, fill the house of the Lord. We continue in verse five. And the Lord said to me, son of man, mark well, see that your eyes and hear with the ears all I say you um, to you concerning the ordinances of the house of the Lord and all its laws. Mark well, who may enter the house and all who go from it from the sanctuary. So see that you mark your ears and hear uh, you know, with your eyes and then hear with your ears. That's, that's my prayer for me and for all of us. Lord, as we gather, as we study your word, as we gather to worship, as we come to this house of the Lord, that may you open up my ears, may you open up my eyes spiritually to see you, to hear you, to hear your ways, to see your ways, and Lord, to mark it well in my life. And then in verse 6, now say to the rebellious, to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, O house of Israel, let us have no more of all your abominations, notice there, that us, a reference to the Trinity. And when you brought in foreigners, uh, uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh to be my sanctuary, to defile it, my house, when you offered my food, the fat, the blood, then they broke my covenant because of all of your abominations. Notice the Lord says, it's my house, is my offering, my food, you know, and you broke my covenant because of your abominations. And here I realize that this house of the Lord, it belongs to him. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to Calvary Chapel. That's just a name. That it belongs to the Lord. And as as we offer sacrifices of praise, as we give to him, it all belongs to him. And then in verse 8, and you have not kept charge of my holy things, and you have set others to keep charge of my sanctuary for you. So he's speaking of the time that Ezekiel was living in of time of their disobedience. And thus says the Lord God, no foreigner uncircumcised in heart or uncircumcised in flesh shall enter my sanctuary, including any foreigner who is among the children of Israel. So Ezekiel was to remind the people of Israel not to be rebellious any longer. They had gone through that and and gone down that road, and now they're called to holiness. But I I want to, to make a secondary application here. As the Lord said, listen, when it comes to my sanctuary, when it comes to my house, no uncircumcised in heart, uncircumcised in flesh shall come. And, and here's the thing that is important for us to remember, that, that there are churches today that a lot of times they'll bring somebody up who is famous, somebody who's very popular, maybe a movie star, maybe an entertainer, maybe a sports figure, and they'll bring them up, and they're not even a believer. And they bring them up in front of the church and people, and and they'll begin to talk to them, and people are all excited. I think we need to be careful of those things. And they only bring them up because they're they're well-known, and they're famous, and and they're not believers. Or even sometimes that there, you know, has been um, those who speak at a church, that are unbelievers. Um, they're just famous. They're just motivational speakers or whatever. Or those who are up front that are doing worship that are unbelievers. But they're very talented. And I think that we just need to be careful that that those who are before the people need to have a heart for God and truly be believers. And then in verse 10, and the Levites, as he begins to talk about the, the ministry of the Levites and the priests, who went far from me when Israel went astray, again speaking of the time of, of Ezekiel here, who strayed away from me after their idols, they shall bear their iniquity. Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house. They shall slay the burnt offerings and a sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before them, minister to them. Because they ministered to them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity, Therefore I have raised my hand in an oath against them, says the Lord God, that they shall bear their iniquity. Verse 13, And they shall not come near me to minister to me as priests, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the holy, most holy place. But they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple of all its work and all that has to be done in it. Of course, in the Old Testament, the Levitical system, that the Levites were were ministering there at the tabernacle in the temple, all manner of ministry is what we read in First Chronicles, and, and they did the work of the ministry. Now, not all Levites were priests; only the direct descendants of Aaron. Uh, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. And and the priests had the were the ones that did the sacrifices and were the only ones allowed into the temple. Uh, the Levites came and assisted them, and they had different uh, responsibilities, and you read about that in First Chronicles. You read about it in the book of Numbers, what they were to do, the different families of the Levites at the tabernacle out there in the wilderness. So here, part of the restoration of Israel is uh, the Levites and the priests that are ministering once again. But what is interesting here as we read this, That because the Levites sinful practices before the fall of Babylon, leading the nation into turning to idols, and we've seen that going through Ezekiel, in the millennial reign, they're going to be downgraded um, to to servants. They're going to be ministering the things there at the temple, but they're not going to be ministering before the Lord. And verse 13 is kind of a sad verse. You shall not come near me to minister to me as priests, nor come near any of my holy things, nor to most holy place. But you shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. It's a sad verse, but there's an important lesson in this as we consider it. Because as we go into verse 15, we're going to see the Levites that are going to minister before the Lord. And that's the son of Zadok uh, that are going to minister. The other Levites, because you led the people at this time into idol worship that you're going to minister before the people and you're going to minister the things that are at the temple, but not before the Lord. The application I think for us is this, that we need to make sure that as we're, we are believers in Christ and those of us particularly that are in ministry, that we are more concerned about ministering before God first and then we minister before the people. In other words, there are those that they just want to minister before the people. They want to have the big crowds. They'll do anything to bring them in. They'll compromise the message, the word of God. They'll bring entertainment. They'll bring hype, all these things. I need to be concerned about ministering before God first. Then I can come and minister before you. And that needs to be the priority, but not just ministering before the people. And in Ezekiel's day, the priests and them, they were ministering before the people. They would ignore what the warnings of the Lord was, what the word of the Lord was, and calling them into repentance. So here, those Levites are going to be ministering. Before the people, they're going to be ministering there at the temple, but not before the Lord. But verse 15, the sons of Zadok are going to have a privileged status as we continue reading. That the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me and they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood says the Lord God and they shall enter my sanctuary and they shall come near my table to minister to me and they shall keep my charge now keep in mind that as we saw the sanctuary the the, the inner sanctuary the most holy place there at the temple there's no menorah, there's no shoe bread table, there's no altar of incense, there's no curtain, um, there is just a table that is before the Lord. So the sons of Zadok, and who were Zadok, the sons of Zadok? You remember that when David died, uh, David had prepared everything for the, the next king, his son Solomon, to build the temple. It, it, it's called Solomon's temple. He built it but really, it was David's temple, I think, because he got all the materials, the gold, the silver. He, you go through First Chronicles, all those chapters. God even showed them the pattern of the temple. And God would have him organize the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the, you know, all the, the, the different Levites, their manner of service all that came through David, and he passed it on, the blueprints and uh, how things were to be organized to Solomon. So he was able, after the death of David, to be able to build the temple, and it was a magnificent building. But when David died, what happened was, as you read 1 Kings chapter 1, that Abba Nijah exalted a son of David himself to be the king. And Abba Athar, the priest, you know, sided with him. And so they make a bunch of noise, you know, they have runners, they they have this parade going through Jerusalem, and it is Nathan. Remember, Nathan was a prophet to David. He sees that. He goes to Bathsheba, David's wife, and says... Is he supposed to be the king? That is, uh, uh, Abba Is is, did David make him king? Uh, You need to go ask David. So here is Nathan the prophet and Zadok the priest that received the instructions as Bathsheba went and talked to David. David said, no, Solomon is to be the king. And so Zadok would anoint Solomon as king and stand by him and be faithful to him. So now they have this privileged status. So the Levites minister to others. Zadok is to be the one that ministers before him, as we read in verse 15. Stand before the Lord. What a glorious place that is going to be. Now, what about you and me? Because, you know, we're uh, of the church we are going to the privileged status that we have, which is so exciting. Is yes, there's going to be the Levites that are ministering there at the temple of the Lord, ministering to the people. The sons of Zadok ministering before the Lord. The prince that's going to eat there, there at the porch of, of the gate there that faces eat that eats before the Lord. David. Those are privileged status. But the privileged status that you and I have as the church is we're going to rule and reign with Him. We're going to rule and reign with Him, and you see what we do now when we stand before an abatement reward seat of Jesus Christ, Second Corinthians chapter five, and Romans chapter fourteen. Rewards and crowns will be given to us, and, and Jesus told parables of the mina and the talents, that the kingdom of God is like this: that a, that, uh, a nobleman, a king, uh, went away uh, to to receive a kingdom, and he'd given talents, a a mina to two different parables there to his servants and he came back and they were to give an account of how they invested that. And rewards will be given according to what we have done for Christ, even as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians whether good or bad. And what we do now has a lot to say in the millennium reign, how we rule and reign, the rewards and crowns that we're going to receive. So I want to encourage you that you keep the Lord the priority in your life. Serve him. Because what you do now is going to affect what we're going to do when we're and reign with him. Jesus said that when he came back and received the kingdom and and the servants gave an account, I've invested the talents and the mina, that the response was, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things, I'll make you rule over many, enter into the joy of your Lord, and you're going to rule over ten cities and five cities and two cities. I don't fully understand it all, just as I don't fully understand here the millennial temple, but I know it's real and it's before us. And the pages here are giving us details of it, and there's going to be the Levites and the priests ministering and the Prince David, and the glory of the Lord fills the temple, and we're going to rule and reign with him. What a glorious future that we have. So here, as we know that we are to, to... Be faithful to him is is what the lesson is, verse 17. And it shall be that whenever they enter the gates of the inner court, that they shall put on linen garments, no wool shall come upon them while they minister within the gates of the inner court or within the house. And they shall have linen turbans on their heads and linen trousers on their bodies, and they shall not clothe themselves with anything that causes sweat. So they were to wear linen so they wouldn't sweat. They weren't to, to wear wool. Well, we live in a part of the country. where the wintertime, it gets it gets cold, so we wear wool to keep us warm. And, and during the summer, we wear linen or cotton, that, that which will keep us cool. Listen, as we do ministry, it's not to be a sweaty kind of thing. It's not to be where we're sweating and striving and we know that in the Old Testament that the priests were told in the garments, don't wear the wool, don't mix the wool in the linen unless you sweat. And, and here we know that they're not to wear the linen because ministry, serving the Lord, is not out of the flesh, not out of our striving, sweating and, and all of this. But to let God lead us, and even as we minister, we are to have cool heads, <laughs> you know, a, a leader, a, a shepherd, an um, elder, is to be temperate. Um, they had the linen turbans that they wore on their heads. And someone who is, uh, you know, even keel, um, that is uh, temperate, uh, cool-headed, uh, not just being overrun by emotions and anger and all of that. So ministry is just let the Lord do what he's doing in your life. Keep cool, you know, allow him to do this, not to be striving and sweating and all of this. In verse 19, when they go out of the outer court to the outer court to the people, they shall take off their garments in which they have ministered. Lead them in the holy chambers and put on the garments. And in their holy garments, they shall not sanctify the people. So they didn't wear the holy garments before the people drawing attention to themselves. They were to come before the people in humility. And we are as well. You know, as a pastor, I'm no better than anybody else. As, I'm, matter of fact, to be the chief servant. I'm, I'm to be the servant of all, just like everyone else is. He's given me a calling. He's given me a role. Uh, I, It's a privileged status, but I'm no better than anybody else. And my ministry is not more important than anybody else's ministry. Your ministry is important to the Lord, too. And he's called us to ministry, he's gifted us differently, we're all part of the body of Christ, but we're all one, and that's what uh, we read in First Corinthians chapter 12, that analogy, and other places in the New Testament, we're all one, and we all have ministry, and, and different gifts, and diversity of ministries, and and how we use that, and it's so glorious for all of us to be a part of that. In verse 20, they shall neither shave their heads nor let their hair grow long, but they shall keep their hair well trimmed. No priest shall drink wine when they enter the inner court. They shall not take his wife, a widow, or divorced woman, but take virgins of the descendants of the house of Israel, or widows or of priests. They shall teach my people the difference between holy and unholy and caused them to discern between the unclean and the clean. So what we see here is guidelines given to them um, that for hair length, they say, what's the big deal about that? Well, you know, back in the Old Testament, letting your hair be unkept or shave was a sign of mourning. This is a time of rejoicing. Uh, don't drink wine. When you're in the tabernacle, you remember Leviticus chapter Ten verse 9 that Aaron's two sons were told you don't go in don't go into the tabernacle that you may drunk with wine because uh, the Lord desires for you to distinguish between that which is holy and unholy and we know that we are told in Ephesians chapter 5 that don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the spirit we we want to be filled with the spirit renew our minds with the spirit of God not with anything that's going to influence our minds, wine, drugs, whatever it might be, that we can't distinguish between holy and and unholy. What is, you know, right, what is wrong, what is, um, you know, uh, right before the Lord and good and honorable before the Lord. And then restriction on marriage, speaking about and promoting holiness within the bonds of marriage in verse 22. And it's how we are to be ones that we are um, be uh, there, keeping his statutes. Verse twenty four. And controversially, they shall stand as judges, and judge it according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws and my statutes, and all my appointed meetings. And they shall keep hollow my sabbaths. And then we continue in verse twenty five. And they shall not defile themselves by coming near a dead person, only for father or mother, for son or daughter or brother. Or unmarried sister may they defile themselves. After he is cleansed, they shall count seven days for him. And on the day that he goes into the sanctuary to minister in the sanctuary, he must offer his sin offering in the inner courts as the Lord God. So as we look at this, um, you know, it's interesting that it says, "You shall not defile yourself come in near a dead person." Some people think that there will be no death in the millennium reign, and and. And it's going to be, you know, uh, it's going to be, you know, what God intended. It's going to be uh, righteousness covering uh, the waters, you know, covering the earth as waters cover the sea. Um, He's going to rule with a rod of iron. It's going to be righteousness and peace. But there is going to be death. And the Bible speaks of that uh, in different places. Um, It is in Isaiah chapter 65. Let me read it to you. That speaks of it uh, as well. So uh, there is going to be some death uh, that's going to take place. And as I get there, um, we do read that um, Isaiah writing about the millennium reign. That no more. And this is verse 20 of Isaiah 65. Shall an infant from uh, their lip, but a few days; nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old um, shall be a curse. And and so uh, he, he here is talking about a dead body. So it seems to indicate there will be some death that is in the, in the millennium reign. Um, and we also know that even in the book of Zechariah that it speaks about that those who come up uh, to uh, worship at the Feast of Tabernacles... That the nations who do not do that, that this shall be a punishment of Egypt and the punishment of nations, who do not come up to keep the feast of tabernacles in that day, the holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses, and um, and it talks talks about how famine will come to them. Uh, on the families of the earth that do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts with them, there'll be no rain. Um, so, you know, uh, he shall strike them with the plagues. Egypt shall come up. Um, if they do not, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plagues which the Lord strikes the nations. Um, interesting as you read that, the last part there of the book of of Zechariah. And the Egyptians, they they don't like plagues. You know, they already got struck. So, you know, it's got to remember about the millennium reign. It's going to be, as Psalm 2 says, that he's going to rule with the rod of iron. It's going to be a forced righteousness. He's going to rule and reign with the rod of iron. Even at the end of the millennium reign, as we read in the book of Revelation, that we know that Satan is going to be let out of the abyss and then he's going to lead this large rebellion. Unbelievable! Here's the Lord ruling from from Jerusalem. He's ruling and reigning, and and all of a sudden people rebel. But what happens is, as those who survive through the tribulation that enter into the millennium reign, believers and, and those you know who are Jewish, that the nation is restored, they come to believe. They enter into the tribulation, or into the millennium reign, and the world begins to populate itself. And those who are born during the millennial reign have to make a choice for the Lord just like we have. And there are going to be those who are going to reject the Lord. And there's going to be, as even Revelation chapter 20 declares to us, unbelievable that there's going to be a great multitude that will reject the Lord at that time, at the end of the millennial reign. Let me read it to you. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number in the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and a fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who received them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be torment day and night forever and ever so here it says that they whose number is the sand of the sea many will rebel join satan in this last final rebellion at the end of the millennium reign and the lord will just speak and um they'll, that's it for them that's rebellion will be put down and as it says that then they will be cast into outer darkness absolutely amazing as we read this Um, but um, the millennium reign is going to be a glorious glorious time but it's going to be forced righteousness he rules with a rod of iron and then in verse 28 it shall be regard to their inheritance i am their inheritance you shall give them no possession in israel for i am their possession now when the levites went into the promised land The Lord said that you will not have a possession, that is an allotment of land, for I'm your inheritance. And that's what's being reiterated here. And so they had cities of the Levites that were throughout um, the the promised land. And they didn't have an allotment. And they would serve there at the tabernacle and in the temple eventually. And they shall eat, verse 29, the grain offerings and the sin offerings and trespass offerings. Every dedicated thing in Israel shall be theirs. And the best of all first fruits of any kind and every sacrifice of any kind. From all your sacrifices shall be the priest. Also you shall give to the priest the first of your ground meal to cause a blessing to rest on your house. And the priest shall not eat anything, birds or beasts that died unnaturally or is torn by wild beasts or roadkill or anything like that. So what we read here is the Lord is our inheritance. That's what he says. That that I am their inheritance, and and that is good news. That the Lord is our inheritance, um, and everything that belongs to the Lord, because we are His children. That we have the heavenly riches that are given to us, and you can read about that in Ephesians chapter one. And in Ephesians chapter one, as Paul takes us to the, the heavenlies, the the spiritual blessings that we have, it's so amazing that that Paul breaks out in prayer. And in Ephesians chapter 1, and again, I'll read it to you as I turn to it here. Uh, he takes us to the heavenlies, how we have every uh, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We've been chosen by him. Uh, we are going to stand before him, holy and without blame, before him in love. and He's adopted us. Uh, We have been predestined uh, to adoptions by sons in Christ Jesus. All these wonderful things. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, uh, and he's made us to abound in all wisdom and prudence. And he goes on, and then he breaks out in prayer as you read it. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. But he prays, and he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That is, we're going to go to heaven and be with him. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That amazes me. We have an inheritance in the Lord, the heavenly riches. But the Lord comes back and says his inheritance in the saints, that I'm his inheritance, And that just shows how much he loves us and how valuable we are to the Lord. And never doubt that. Because I'm sure that you have felt this way as the enemy comes along and he whispers in your ear that you're not valuable to God. He doesn't love you. You're not important to God. Man, you are his inheritance. I am. And I think me? You know, that's how much God loves you. And to once again, that you are so important to remember That he sent his own son to come and die for you. That you might be adopted son and daughter of the living God. And now we have the riches of Christ that are ours. The inheritance that is the Lord. And the heavenly riches that are ours. And that we are his inheritance. And he loves you so much. Because the enemy is going to try to make you feel like that you're not important to him. You are. You're so important to the Lord. So valuable to the Lord. You're a special treasure to him. You're like a pearl of great price. You know, all these things that we've talked about in those kingdom parables going through Matthew. And don't believe the lies of the enemy or anybody else that comes along and says otherwise. So we have a wonderful future here. We're going to stop here. I was hoping to get through chapter 45, but we're going to finish Ezekiel in the next couple weeks. So much that is here. I pray that, that... you're being blessed that you are being uh, encouraged because this is our future and um and we're going to be at that holy city we're going to come up to celebrate the feast of, of tabernacles and that's what's going to be spoken of when we go into chapter 45 and the manner of worship and and all these other things that I believe are going to be a blessing so stay tuned and father we just thank you for this time we thank you that we can go over this chapter we've been going over these chapters and just looking at it and being encouraged greatly. And we know that this is, Lord, a part of the restoration of Israel. But it reminds us how we're going to rule and reign with the Lord. And it gives us application for today that we are to live for the Lord. This, this world is not where it's at. We're in the world and we work hard and we got cares of life. And, but, Lord, we would, I pray, remember to prioritize you, the glorious future that you have for us. The rewards you want to give to us it's eternal we belong to a holy nation a kingdom that will last forever so may we be encouraged in that because we can look around us and and we think lord everything's falling apart and and all these other things that discourage us and we wonder if there's any future lord you're our future and hope you're our help right now and i pray that we would always remember that how valuable we are to you how much you love us and care for us and the inheritance we have, that the heavenly spiritual blessings that are ours, but, Lord, also that the Lord, his inheritance in the saints. That's just how important that you see us. So, Father, we thank you that, that this is real. This is, this is not Hollywood. This is not myths or fables. This is the written word of God told to us that we might understand what lies ahead for us and be comforted by it. And Lord, encouraged and uplifted by it. I pray you bless everyone here. We look forward to meeting on Sunday once again. So Lord, uh, bless the rest of our week. Be with us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday.